0: Starts right now. And this is indeed the Aspen and Butick Show. We got a great show in store. Lots going on in the sports world. It's only February, but spring training baseball is underway. Of course, Alex Rodriguez is back with the Yankees. We just had the NFL Combine over the past weekend. And just a lot of different things going on in sports right now, and it's going to make it a great show. Of course,
1: I'm Jake Asman, and he's Dan Butik. Yeah, it should be a great show, obviously. But I, I, Jake, starting off in the last 24 hours is Josh Hamilton revelation. Apparently, you know he's back on drugs, cocaine and alcohol, reported, and uh, you know definitely not what you want to see. You know, it's a very sad story with Josh Hamilton. If you remember, it was just 2008. He had the great home run derby at Yankee Stadium, and it was just. It was such a. It was seen as such a great story. The, the comeback. We knew he had a, a bad drug problem, and you know he leaves Texas, signs a big deal with the Angels, and he's reportedly fallen off the wagon. And and is it, it on really, the wagon or well, off the wagon? Well, Jerry and George have had a, have had a in uh, on Seinfeld. And Elaine and Elaine too. I, I believe it's he fell off the wagon.
0: I'm not sure about that, but your point, your point, given of course, being that you know this is a guy that was suspended from 2004 to 2006 with his drug issues. He's back in the league, and you mentioned it. 08, he was in the MVP conversation. He had such a phenomenal All-Star game at Yankee Stadium with all the home runs, as you just said. And you know, it's really sad. The guy signed a five-year deal at the end of the 2013 season that paid him 125 million dollars with the Angels, and now. He might miss the entire season with a with a possible suspension for falling off the wagon, as you just said. And you know he was already supposed to be out till May because he just had you know off season shoulder surgery. But
1: now you look at a guy, you don't really know where his career is going to go from here. Very sad to see. And and if you're the Angels, you're upset too because it was just a few years ago you invested a lot of money and a lot of years in Josh Hamilton. But you hope, you know, it's nothing. Well you, you know it's going to be serious and, and an interesting tidbit that came out today was when he came back to baseball in 2006 and he and he was reinstated into the league he, his agreement with Major League Baseball was that he can never be on drugs if he is ever caught again there would be a very serious punishment that this was agreed upon he it was mutually agreed between Josh Hamilton's people and and Major League Baseball so here we are in 2015 you know six seven weeks away from opening day and you know spring training just underway and this happens he could miss the season I mean he very well could miss the season nevertheless he is rehabbing an injury so very sad to hear about Josh Hamilton and uh you know, you hope everything's okay and you hope it's not as serious as we think it is, but all signs lead to the fact that this guy's not going to be available for a while for the Angels, and it gives them a big void in the outfield. And just last year, he
0: only was able to play in 89 games because of the injury that he had, to only 10 home runs, 44 RBIs. He only hit 263. So, this is the guy that, you know, we mentioned a couple years ago. He was an all star. He was the MVP of the league in 2010. He hit 359 that season, 100 RBIs, 32 home runs. You know, the guy could really do it all. And, well, when he left Texas, he had such a great situation there. They really did a great job of watching over him. And then he signs that big deal. And, you know, at the end of the day, an addict can always go right back on it. And we saw it with Josh Hamilton just now. And it's very sad to see what could happen to him because he was already going to be out till May. Now, if there's some sort of suspension that won't start till he's healthy enough to even come back from surgery in the first place. You're
1: not really sure when you're going to see Josh Hamilton, and that really hurts the Angels, who led the American League last season of wins. He led, he led, they led the American League in wins in 98, and they were really banking on him to come back when he did come back in late April, early May, to be that impact back that they signed for $128 million. It doesn't look like that's going to be the case. And if you saw today at Angels' camp, and I know ESPN was there... You know, they didn't want to talk about it at all. No one wanted to talk about this. They, they, they—all the questions from the media about Josh Hamilton were completely deflected. So uh, that just—that just tells me that this is a really serious matter, and the Angels know it's a really serious matter. So uh, that's not what you want to see. For, you know, when you're talking about a situation like this, I mean, the Angels—if uh, you—if anyone saw—they completely deflected all the questions today. Uh, at spring training, they didn't want to talk about it. It was just we're, we're worried about the sixty-two men in, men at camp. We're not worried about Josh. You know that's a different issue. They didn't want to talk about it. it it's a very serious matter, and, and it's very sad. You know, we touched it very sad because he came from so far, so much. To, to recover from his addiction and his uh, his alcoholism and it's very sad to, to see what happened in the last 24 hours with Josh Hamilton. And
0: when Major League Baseball reinstated him in 2006, it came with that stipulation, as you were talking about, Dan, that he would be drug tested three times a week. The league all, will also, you know, need to weigh the addiction and whether or not the sickness can be dealt with under their joint drug agreement. Because what do you do with a guy that you know has a problem and that just tested positive and all likely for cocaine?
1: Because this is worse than any sort of steroid situation. Because Steroids, it, i I don't know how addicting, you know, they're, it's not necessarily addictive. And, and I think that's dealing with a completely different issue. This is a serious personal issue. That, that Major League Baseball is going to have to deal with. You know, obviously, with everything with steroids, this is the last thing Major League Baseball wants to deal with. This is the, probably the last thing Rob Manfred wants to deal with, but unfortunately, it, it's on his plate, and, it, and his first spring training as commissioner of Major League Baseball, this is a big bombshell in the first couple days.
0: And this isn't the first time that he's had issues before. If you remember August 2009, Deadspin published photographs from a one-night alcohol binge that Hamilton committed in January of that year. And you know, I'm reading a Washington Post story right here. It says in the article that Hamilton immediately addressed the incident and admitted that he made a mistake. He momentarily told himself that he could have a beer, and then he came clean. But the bottom line is, for Josh Hamilton, when you're an addict, that one drink can set you over the top. He was lucky to recover from that, as he said l- later that um, that season when he addressed it. One drink is too many. And a 1,000 is never enough. And that's the problem when you're an addict. You never know when that next drink or that next drug could come. And unfortunately for the Angels, and even more unfortunate for Josh Hamilton, you know he might be suspended because, as we just talked about, testing positive for cocaine is no joke.
1: It's no joke at all. And I remember in 2008, 2009, when the whole thing with the All-Star game, and and he really came on the scene as one of the premier sluggers in Major League Baseball. You know, he talked about, I, it was an E60 piece, I'm not 100% sure, how he has a chaperone with him anytime he goes out anywhere just so so just to make sure he, he doesn't do anything or he, you know he stays clean and that just goes to show you how 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 t- big of an addict he was because if you need someone to be with you 24/7 to to watch out for you you know cuz you don't trust yourself I mean, that just, that right there makes you think, makes you know how big of an addict he was. And just, you know, what, four or five years later, very sad to see what happened to Josh Hamilton.
0: And we'll find out what the latest is from Major League Baseball. I'm sure in the coming days we'll get some sort of word from the commissioner's office on. The punishment or if Hamilton's going to enter back in a drug prevention program again. But the bottom line is this Angels team won 98 games with an awful season from Josh Hamilton. He only played in 89 games a season ago. But, you know, just from the standpoint of losing one of your guys in your clubhouse, it's going to hurt. But, you know, the bottom line is the Angels team is still very good. But that contract is going to look even worse than it already does right now in a few years if his production continues to dwindle. Even if he's not even playing. That would really hurt. But once again, he signed a five-year, $125 million contract for the 2013 season. And now the guy might not even be on the field at
1: all in 2015. Yeah, this morning, Jerry DePoto, the GM of the Angels, like I said, was asked a question about Josh Hamilton. He said, at this point, I have no further information to offer. So they were not going to talk about this. This was not something they wanted to talk about at all. Uh Mike Sosha, the uh, manager of the Angels, did not want to talk about this. They didn't want to talk about this at all, and and it it's very sad, very sad. That's all you could say, and you hope that, you know, when Josh Hamilton does come back, you know, it's for good, and 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 he can be seen as a, a clean guy. But either way, it's it's a lot of money the Angels have, uh, on his bat, and due to him over the next three seasons, it's a shame. But uh, hopefully, and you gotta hope that he can come back healthy and come back healthy physically on the field and, and also addiction-wise and personally because, you know, that could be ten times worse than any sort of injury or steroids that could keep you for suspended for anything. I mean, this is a serious personal issue that, you know, unfortunately Major League Baseball has to deal with.
0: And we'll come back and transition from what you just said about being healthy with Josh Hamilton to the Mets and the Yankees because obviously Masahiro Tanaka and Matt Harvey are two of the aces of both New York teams, of course, both of them – are on pace to return and be ready for opening day. And it was announced that Matt Harvey will return to the mound against the Detroit Tigers kind of tail of two sides. Matt Harvey had the Tommy John surgery, Masahiro Tanaka and the Yankees opted to avoid the surgery, assuming that he could be productive and be the ace that he was without having to go under the knife. We'll find out which side will prevail on this one, but the case is clear for both teams. They're going to depend on Matt Harvey, the Mets are, and of course the Yankees. They're really going to depend on Masahiro Tanaka to be the guy that we saw early
1: on in the season a year ago. They're going to depend on. They need Tanaka to be. They need Tanaka to be healthy because if Tanaka is not healthy, he's the catalyst for this rotation. I mean, there's a lot of question marks in the Yankees' rotation, and even Tanaka. But Tanaka's, you know, the closest thing to uh, based on what you saw last year to an ace that they have. But you know they have to hope that they hit it right that he didn't need surgery because if he does, it's going to be a decision that the Yankees and Tanaka will be scrutinized for. If he ends up, you know, and the tear uh, gets bigger or he he does worse damage to it over the course of a season where he needs surgery, the Yankees are going to be scrutinized. Why didn't he have the surgery at the, when he did last year in July or August? Why did we wait a whole year and see if he could just rehab it without surgery? Hopefully, he doesn't need surgery and he can come back for the Yankees because he is the, he is the in my opinion. He is the guy that needs to be right if the Yankees want to have a good year this year and want to make the playoffs. It, there is no scenario in my opinion where the Yankees make the playoffs this year and Tanaka's unhealthy. They need him to be healthy.
0: Oh, no question about it. And the Yankees, they lost four fits of their rotation a season ago. Every single starter in the rotation has some question marks with it. The Yankees could either be a 90 something win baseball team or they could be a team like last year in the 80s and miss the playoffs for the third straight season. It really depends on a lot of those things, but I agree with you Dan. I think it starts with Tanaka. I think you got to get you got to get 200 innings out of the guy at you gotta least. get a guy that's gonna get win you you know at least 15 or more games this season and help the Yankees have that ace in their staff because you look at the Yankees rotation besides Tanaka you have a lot of guys that are probably good twos and good threes Tanaka is the unquestioned ace of the staff as we saw last year before he got hurt And if he can come back and pitch like he did in the first half of the season, the Yankees are going to be very competitive and have an opportunity to win that division. Because in my opinion, the American League East is wide open. You can make a case for the Yankees. You can make a case for the Red Sox. You can also make a case for the Orioles and even the Blue Jays. I think the only team that really doesn't have a strong chance is the Tampa Bay Rays. But besides that, you've got four solid teams. not no longer a powerhouse division, but it's a good division with some quality teams that all have an opportunity to make the playoffs. And
1: that's why I think this is a, a really important year for the Yankees because I think this is a year the Yankees can steal the division. You know, when a lot of people think they're out and a lot of people are, are discrediting the Yankees and, and, you know, the Yankees really are underdogs, so to speak, in the American League this year just because of the issues they've had the last couple of years and the issues to the rotation they had last year and the injuries to Beltron, the A-Rod situation, which is a whole other monster of of itself hanging over this Yankee team going into spring training and throughout the first couple of days of spring training. They really need Tanaka to be healthy. They need to have a, a, a guy at the top of the rotation every fifth day they could rely on. Last year they were able to mutter through it and win 80. What did they win? 84 games 84 last games. year. They won 84 games last year. Let's be honest here. If they suffer the, some of the injuries they have last year, uh, they if they suffer similar injuries that they had last year, you know, there's no guarantee that a guy's going to come up from the minor leagues and give you, you know, what Phelps gave you, or give you what some of these other guys, what Capuano gave you at the end of last year. There's no guarantee that's going to happen. The Yankees need Tanaka to be healthy. He's a very important piece. Another important piece of the Yankees rotation is CC Zabathia. He needs to come back and give the Yankees maybe not 200 innings, maybe not a two-three ERA, but if he could win them 12-13 games, it's a plus for the Yankees this and year. And you're not
0: really sure what you have in CC. The guy has not been able to be healthy. He came into camp and he actually came in at 305 pounds as opposed to the 275 he came in a season ago. He says he pitches better when he's heavier. And you know what? The bottom line is for CC Sabathia is. He'll pitch better when he's healthy. The guy has not been healthy in now two seasons. And, you know, outside of 2012 in that postseason where he dominated the Orioles, CC has really not been the same pitcher since then. So the Yankees are going to rely on Tanaka. They need to get something out of CeCe. But once again, it's going to start with the the top two in that rotation. What are you going to get out of CeCe? And we mentioned what can they expect out of Tanaka. But the rest of the rotation has its question marks as well. With Ivan Nova, when's he's going to come back? He's obviously coming off Tommy John surgery as well. And Michael Pineda, if he stays healthy, can also be a really top tier pitcher uh, in that yeah, rotation. Yeah, I'll tell you what but he has
1: his issues. Yeah, Pineda is the type of guy who obviously he had the pine tar. He's number one stuff. He has he was until that pine tar incident last year, and then obviously he got hurt and missed you know a couple of months. Kind of had a setback and it was over before that he was among the top two three four best pitchers in baseball he was phenomenal before that pine tar incident obviously obviously got hurt in that rehab start uh not that not the rehab start but after they they skipped him and he threw a simulated game and he got hurt Mm -hmm. when he was supposed to pitch on that day because of the pine tar incident and that really set him back he's a huge question mark is nova let me is nova on a regular pitching program
0: no Nova should be ready um maybe after the start of the season. Okay. So maybe late April is that with the Yankees timetable. They're not, so late they're not A- rushing him back. He had Tommy John
1: surgery in about June. In June. So okay.
0: it could be late April, So it could be May.
1: late April, early May. That makes sense. That makes sense. And Evaldi's a big question mark, too, coming over from and that, Miami. And that's
0: another thing. Nathan is a guy that could throw you 200 innings, but the bottom line is the guy led the Amer- the National League in hits last year. He gave up the most hits. The Yankees like his stuff. He throws 98 miles per hour, and they love these power pitchers at Yankee Stadium that could strike guys out. And they think Larry Rothschild and Joe Girardi could fix Nathan Evaldi, you might find something there as a late 4 or 5 starter in your rotation. But once again, he comes to the question mark, and then the Yankees overall, Their offense has so many question marks, but it obviously starts with what you're going to get out of Tanaka. He's the ace. If he gives you an opportunity to win a start every five days he's pitching, that goes a long way towards keeping you in contention. Same with Matt Harvey as we transition to the Mets.
1: Matt Harvey missed all of 2014. He's back now. What can you expect out of Matt Harvey as a big Mets fan, Dan? Well, I think early on, I think you can expect to see Matt Harvey healthy. I think uh, they're going to stretch him out as the season goes on, maybe skip a start every now and then. We talked to... Wayne Randazzo, who's the new Mets WOR pre- and post-game host. And he pre-plugged.
0: Pretty- Check it out, ictv.org. <laughs> yeah. Follow the show, at Asman Butik Show. Like us on Facebook, the Asman Butik Show, the whole thing. But... You know, you made a good point about Wayne yeah. Randazzo when we had him mm-hmm. on. He said, you know, if you ask me a year from now, what should we expect a year removed from the surgery? I'd say you're going to get the Matt Harvey at all, but, you know, what can you expect a, and a, I think, out of a guy coming off the surgery? And I
1: think everyone has a different opinion when it comes to Tommy John surgery because, you know, we spoke to Wayne a couple of days ago, and he said, well, it's really the second year he comes back. And then today on SportsCenter, Kurt Schilling said, well, I expect him to be the same Matt Harvey right away as he was. I think everyone has a different opinion when it comes to when it comes to – uh, Tommy John surgery. It's so much gray. No one really knows how you're going to come back until you're on the mound and you're facing live batters. And I think until we see Matt Harvey do that, I think th- there'll obviously be a question mark of what he is. But, I, you know, I expect as a fan and I expect as a, someone who watches baseball that he'll come back and be able to throw strikes and strike people out. You know, is he going to be as dominant immediately? I don't know. But, you know, if the Mets want to have success this year, they're going to need Matt Harvey to have a big year. That's just the bottom line. They're going to need Matt Harvey, you know, and maybe not to pitch uh, – two hundred innings necessarily, but they're gonna need him to be uh, up of hundred and sixty five, one hundred and seventy five innings if they want to be serious contenders and they, they're serious about winning this year. They are gonna need Matt Harvey to have a good year coming off Tommy John surgery.
0: Now when you look at the Mets and this team, this team it should be better than they were last year and the Mets won eighty 79 they won seventy nine games. Okay, the Mets won seventy nine games last year, just missed being at five hundred, eighty one and eighty one. For them to get over the hump and compete for a wild card spot, because I think the Nationals are clearly the best team in that division. I think Washington will win the division when you These combine Nationals their rotation are gonna win close to and their games. offense. The Nationals could be, as they were last year, could be the best team in the National League with the Dodgers and a couple of The Nationals could be
1: above 95 wins this year. Absolutely. So realistic for the
0: Mets, they're targeting getting into the playoffs as a wild card spot.
1: For them to do that,
0: obviously, they're going to need to hit better. David Wright's going to need to have a better year. Curtis Grandson needs to have a better year. They need to get better production out of this offense. What are you going to get out of shortstop? But... You know, for the Mets, it's all about how great their pitching is. Matt Harvey needs to be that guy that he, he was to be. in 2013 yeah. for this pitching staff to be as good as it was or as it potentially could be this season.
1: And I think they're ve- the, the one thing the Mets have, and they're very fortunate, is they're very deep with starting starting pitching. They are very expendable with starting rotation. And, and if, a lot of teams can't say this. That the Mets don't have an issue with arms in the starting rotation. They don't have an issue. A lot of teams, like the Yankees, can't say that. You know, A lot of teams are very short in pitching. They say you never could have enough pitching. Well, the Mets are right about that point where you could just about have enough pitching. They have a tremendous amount of arms. But I agree, they're going to need that bona fide ace, you know, like, like teams do, like uh, the Royals did last year, like obviously the Giants, the world champion Giants, did how great was Madison Bumgarner down the stretch and into the playoffs. He was great. You need that bona fide ace, and it's going to have to be Matt Harvey because but let's be honest. Before Matt Harvey got hurt, last two seasons ago he was among talk for a sign you know, he was phenomenal I mean the guy started the he All-Star phenom- game yeah, he was phenomenal he was it was one of the, it was every fifth so that's when it, the game was at City Field I'll tell, too. You, I'll tell you what and you don't say this often every fifth day it, it felt like the guy could throw no hands
0: and, and it, it was fun watching him Matt Harvey made you want to turn on SNY and listen to Gary Ron Keith call the game he was fun to watch he was exciting the guy came in and he, he really lit the city on fire a lot of controversy surrounding his attitude with the Mets and he's a he's a megastar in the city he loves going to the rain like, I I think he loves it. He loves it. Matt Harvey is a prototypical celebrity, and he's built for being in New York. And you know what? The guy could flat-out pitch. The guy is a phenomenal pitcher. And for the Mets to go where they want to go this year, where Terry Collins and Sandy Alderson and David Wright, when they talk about their expectations of making the playoffs – Matt Harvey has to be the guy that he was in 2013 before he got hurt at the end of that
1: season. And they're going to need him to be. And I think, you know, it's nice to see that they have pretty high expectations. I know, you know, to to, to be a contender. and, And that's all you ask is that this team is in contention in late July, early August, maybe even into September. And we'll see if they're able to do it. I mean, are they short a few pieces? Yeah. But if Matt, if their pitching rotation could be as great as we think it could be and their bullpen could patch it together. You know, they, they have a few issues in the bullpen. They are a lefty short in Bobby the bullpen. Bobby Parnell is
0: a big question mark for Well, them.
1: he's he's already out the first couple of weeks of the season. He's a huge question mark, Parnell, coming off. Obviously, he didn't even pitch last year. He had Tommy John surgery. And
0: we'll spend more time on the, the Mets and Yankees and around baseball. We're going to do a big preview show as part of the Asthma podcast a little bit later as we get a little closer to opening day. But to conclude on the Mets and some of the moves they made this offseason, obviously not addressing the shortstop position could come back to haunt them. And when this team is so ready to win right now, well, they, only need they, a, they only needed a couple moves. Did they do enough in the offseason? Another thing, I don't think they did. You mentioned the bullpen, Dan. They may they they probably need another lefty they out need of that. Another pen. Lefty.
1: They need another arm, and it doesn't look like they have it right now. Well, I thought going into the offseason, I wanted them to sign Michael Cadyer. They did. I understand the draft pick, the compensation. Right, we were both. I don't think it's. A, I don't think it's you're, a big you're, deal.
0: You're trying to win now. Don't worry about the first round pick. Which I agree. may or may not turn into a player 3 or 4 years from so that, now. I, Sandy and uh Terry might not be here 3 or exactly. 4 years from you now. Exactly. You can't
1: worry about 3 or 4 years from now. I like the signing. They needed to get a short they didn't and they needed a lefty out of the bullpen and they really didn't address that. They they brought in they have a couple guys in camp, you know, you never know what could happen with 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 guys Bullfins in the bullpen. Bullpens are very year to year. They don't have anyone proven. Well, that's the thing. They didn't go out and sign anyone where you're like, "Oh, wow, the Mets addressed their need." They brought in guys that could possibly be there. Uh, lefty out of the bullpen, another lefty to compliment Josh Edgen in the bullpen. But no, it's going to be a huge issue, and shortstop's a huge issue. Listen, whenever you have a great pitching staff, and you're you're a pitching-dominated team, you got to have a good infield defense, and they really don't have that. You know, Dude is an average defender, Murphy's an average defender, and Floor isn't the hotter average defenders. You know, I felt like they really could have addressed their shortstop need there were there were some guys out there. There wasn't any, you know what? There wasn't a Tulowitzki out there on the free agent market, and Tulowitzki is a little too much to go get via trade because you have to give up the pieces and you got to pick up the contract. But I thought of, as Drupal Cabrera would have been a great addition for the Mets, and they didn't do it. They decided they're going to go in with Flores and Tejada, and you know I don't agree with it, but you it's know just, we'll it's, see.
0: It's, it's just it's upsetting. For it, it's, Mets disappointing. Fans, it's disappointing. It's uh, disappointing. As a team that has not had a winning season since two thousand eight, and two thousand eight and two thousand seven weren't exactly seasons you hold your head, you, you know, you put on a pedestal when you enjoy they collapsed at the end of, of, of both. Those and those seasons. are glory days. That was the last time the Mets actually had a, a legitimate winning record. They haven't been over 500 since. In 09, who could forget? Sports Illustrated picked the Mets to win the World Series, and they won like in the 70s in games that year. Yeah, it was so, terrible. I mean, you know, at the end of the day for the Mets, this team's ready to win right now. I don't think they did enough in the offseason to be able to do so, which means you're really counting on David Wright. You're really counting on Curtis Granderson. we talked about how much they're depending on Matt Harvey, but you know, I know everyone loves Jacob deGrom, and I think he's gonna be. A great pitcher, but you never know what he's going to be. If he has that sophomore slump, maybe he tails off a little bit. That's a good point. Isn't as dominant as he point. was. So I think the Mets are going to be better. I think they will finish above 500. 84. For the first I think 84 wins since 2008. And you know you're thinking 84 wins. I'll make my pick when we get to that preview show a little bit later, into spring training, right near opening day. But listen, both New York teams. Have a lot of question marks, and you, know, you can make a case for both teams to finish with a better record,
1: I think. And and when was the last time you said that, that that both New York teams, are they're, they're pretty evenly matched? The Mets and Yankees are pretty evenly matched. They play six times this year, uh, but they're pretty evenly matched. And I, I think this is the first time in a very, very long time you could say, you know, you could really make a debate of which team's going to have the better record.
0: And one thing we can definitely debate is the NFL combine. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. What should the Jets do at number six? Could Washington sneak in and deal a trade with Philly, stealing Marcus Mariota away from the Jets? We'll get to all that when we come back. This is the Asmund and Butik Show. You are listening to the Asmund and Butik podcast on ICTV.org and on
1: iTunes.
0: And welcome back to the Aspen and Budick Show. Jake Aspen alongside Dan Butick And now, Dan, let's talk a little NFL football. The big story with the NFL is obviously Adrian Peterson being reinstated, some controversy surrounding Des Bryant and whether or not there's some sort of video out.
1: Some Walmart incident, some incident in 2011. Back from 2011.
0: And then, of course, the Combine was this past weekend. So a bunch of different storylines to address. Let's start with the Combine because it, uh, you know, it, w- it was last weekend, and a lot of people came away very impressed with Jameis Winston.
1: Well, a lot of people came impressed, not just with it on the field, but his off the field. You know, the interviews, a lot of people thought his IQ was a lot less than it was just talking to him about football. So I think that really raised his stock up to where I think we're at the point where he's definitely going to be the number one overall pick as opposed to maybe a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, maybe there was still skepticism about whether— he is, you know, all there in the head because we've seen what happened with Jameis over the last couple of months. But I think it's pretty much now, I know still a while to the draft, I think he's pretty much going to go number one.
0: I think with the calm mind, Dindan, and I 100% agree with you, I think it solidified the fact that Jameis Winston will be the first player taken I agree. in the draft by the Bucks. I think when you look at it from the standpoint of how well he did in his interviews from what everyone's saying, and I happened to see a segment that I thought was very interesting with Steve Mariucci of NFL Network. They broke down a couple plays on a whiteboard, and Mariucci couldn't believe how impressed... I couldn't believe... You know, how impressed he was of James Winston and his ability to display his football knowledge by breaking down a playbook. And they, Some NFL executives compared him to the intelligence level of Peyton Manning is what came out in some oh, it reports. says a lot. And, you know, that really is unbelievable from a guy that a lot of people just thought didn't have the intelligence to be a successful player in the NFL. Obviously, Winston's past, very checkered past, could hurt him. But at the end of the day, he has so much talent that he's going to be the unanimous number one pick, I believe, when it's all said and done. And think about... If he didn't have any issues off the field, we'd be saying Jameis Winston would be, you know, the first overall pick by a landslide. It wouldn't even be a debate.
1: Well, I think the, the off-the-field issues come into hand, come into play. Which why are we debating Jameis? Because the the with the rape incident, the alleged, I should say, rape in uh, uh, the rape. That he was alleged that he committed in a couple of years ago. The crab legs, the 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 the, the sexual slurs he was yelling uh, at the at the union at, uh, at the student union at Florida State. So there's a lot of reasons they, for you to have concern over whether Jameis Winston is a guy that you could say is your franchise quarterback. But a lot of people were, like you said, were very impressed with what he did at the combine in his interview process. So people were very impressed with how much he knew about the X's and O's of football.
0: And what I thought was also interesting was a lot of people came away very impressed with Marcus Mariota. He had a nice combine as well. He did his thing. Everyone knows about his character. But, you know, Mariota did very well in the combine. He made all the, the right passes. He was very accurate. And you can't judge too much based on a combine. But I thought it was very interesting that both quarterbacks elected to go through the entire workout, and they both decided to throw. A lot of times you see these star quarterbacks – They don't throw. They decide there's nothing to prove for them, and they don't go away, and they don't don't throw the football in the combine. And at the end of the day, both these guys did, and both of them came away very impressive. Well, I think
1: what it shows you is that these two guys are really good, really, really, really competitive. You know, really competitive. Where you know they're not, they're not, they're not blind. You know, they're not. They hear the skepticism that you know Marcus Mariota hears that people are questioning his ability to throw in the pocket and whether he could play be an NFL quarterback. And I guess Jameis, you know, felt like he would do it would do him service to throw. And I think it's good. I think you know it, to shut up some some of the some of the skepticism and some of the skepticals, uh, I, I think it, it, it's huge for both of them, and I think Mariota, like you said, really did impress in his throwing at the Combine. And
0: the thing with Mariota is the guy has always been accurate. The guy's an outstanding pocket passer. He just hasn't called plays from a huddle since high school because of the offense they run at Oregon. Which is a
1: little concerning. That's a little concerning but, if you look at
0: it. They say Marcus Mariota has the, as good of a work ethic as ever, and listen to these quotes from John Gruden of ESPN's Monday Night Football. If you don't like Marcus Mariota, you don't like human beings. He's the most humble, hardworking guy. Maybe in this draft, I want him on my team. I'll put my system in around him. I have no question that Marcus Mariota could be a successful quarterback, but I think it's a it's a it's a matter of fit. Where does he fit in with an offense? And if the Eagles at number six come calling for the Jets? Well, you know, Chip Kelly and that system is a match
1: made in heaven for Marcus Mariota. It's, it's a match made in heaven, but they have to decide whether they are willing to give up the resources. It takes to jump from 20 into the top six. That's a big jump, and I think if he falls to the Jets, some if he's at there at six for the Jets, I think the Jets are going to take him. I think if there's going to be a trade partner between the Eagles and someone, it's going to be the Redskins, only because it seems to be a nice fit. The Redskins need to accumulate picks. They're not going to take a quarterback, we don't think. So I think the Redskins are, are a perfect trade fit with the Eagles. But like I, like, like I said a second ago, it's going to take a lot to get from 20 to 6 to 20 to 5, excuse me. That's a big jump. I don't know if the Eagles are willing to take it, but if they feel that he's the guy and that he's the guy to to win them a championship and he's the guy to lead their system, then I guess it's worth everything you could do.
0: Listen, at the end of the day, the Redskins have been on the other end of that type of situation. What's fascinating is if you believe that the Redskins at number 5 might make that kind of deal— you're trading with a division rival, and that's an interesting component in all this. Redskins have five, the Eagles have 22. You're, you're talking about two teams that don't like each other in that NFC East division. See, with the thing with the Jets is it's all about whether or not they believe Mariota could be a franchise guy. If they think that he, there's a chance he could be, I think the Jets will take him at six, but if they have some doubt whether or not he will be a franchise quarterback, then you start thinking, hey, wait, wait a second. Do the Eagles want him? What are they willing to give up? If I'm Mike McGaggin, I'm not thinking about it unless you're getting at least two first-round picks, maybe even two second-round picks. And Nick Foles, he's not a great quarterback, but he's better than Geno Smith and, he's and the significantly better. Significantly than better. Smith. And the Jets need to upgrade to that position. So if you're getting, you know, a total of two first-rounders, two second-rounders, and Nick Foles, if you're Mike McGaggin, the Jets general manager. You really have to start thinking about it. Do I make that type of move and get those picks, and maybe you know the following season you could take a quarterback and maybe go another year with Geno Smith as your starter, or you bring in someone like a uh, a Josh McCown type or Jake Locker or some of those guys that are available in free agency. Well,
1: like I said, the only way. I would do the trade with Philadelphia, as like what you mentioned, Jake. If they're willing to give up a couple of ones, a couple of twos, and Nick Foles, I think then I consider the deal. But if the like you know, like you mentioned, and like we've talked about before on and off the air, if the Jets feel and Mike McGagn and and Todd Bowles feel that they're a guy. Is Marcus Mariota. And they interview him and they work him out at the, uh, you know, they see him at the combine and they see him in his pro day, which will happen, you know, down the line closer to the draft. And they feel that he is the guy. The Then you pick him. You then if he's to. there at six, you pick him. And Todd McShane his latest mock draft, he has Marcus Mariota to
0: the Jets at six. And it just, it makes too much sense. The more and more we hear about it, the more we hear Tennessee will not be taking a quarterback at number two. So then where does he get drafted? It's not going to be at number three to Jacksonville. At number four to the Raiders, they have Derek Carr in place. I think they're going to get Derek Carr a target. It doesn't look like they're going to take a quarterback. I I fully expect Amari Cooper to either go at number three or number four to the Raiders. Number five, we just discussed, it's the Redskins. Would they make that type of deal with the Eagles? Because if not, the Redskins aren't taking a quarterback. They have too much invested in RG3. And then it's the Jets at six. And if there's belief in that organization that Marcus Mariota is the guy, I find it very difficult for the Jets to give up on. Letting that guy fall in the draft and not making a move, even if they trade picks to the Eagles, you know something tells me that the Jets, with their whole quarterback, they don't trust Geno Smith. We know Geno Smith isn't the guy. If he's there at six, the Jets have to pick him if they think he could be a franchise guy.
1: And I think there's a, like, a very deep draft at other positions. It's not deep at quarterback. You have two so, guys at quarterback. So, and, so if this, if if arguably the best quarterback in the draft is there for you, or you know a, a, the Heisman Trophy winner. You know, it's very hard to pass up on that, even if you do have a very sexy trade offer on the table from a team like Philadelphia that wants to jump from 20 to 6 or t- whatever they want to jump from. that It's very tough to turn that—it's very tough to, to, to look away from that. It doesn't matter how good the trade is. I think if he's there at 6, the Jets are going to take him solely because—well, not solely because—because because they feel he's going to be the best quarterback at that time, and for the Jets to go moving forward, and they feel that he would be immediately the best quarterback that they have available, and I think he will be. And I think the Jets have a desperate need a quarterback. And at number six, I'd be very shocked if Marcus Mariota falls there, which it looks like he's going to. You know, it looks. Realistically, it looks like realistically Marcus Mariota is going to be if there he gets at six. Past
0: two, I don't see a team taking him until number six with the Jets.
1: And I don't, and like you mentioned, I don't see Tennessee taking a quarterback. No one has Tennessee taking a quarterback. I don't think they're going to take. Marcus Mariota too. They like
0: Ben Berger. They want to give him an opportunity to play,
1: and he really didn't get that much of an opportunity. Only a couple of games. You really can't. And he was hurt. Yeah. And he was hurt, so you really can't get a, a a true judgment on that. And maybe they're not sold on Marcus Mariota being a franchise. Listen, quarterback. the
0: Jets may not be sold on him. But you got to look at the value of the pick. If you get a chance to get a a potential franchise quarterback at number 6, you have to make that type of move. It's just these guys don't come around all that often, and until you have a franchise quarterback, you're never going to have a chance to win a Super Bowl, and that's ultimately the goal for every NFL team. The Jets have been on the cusp of a Super Bowl twice in the last 10 years. Of course, when they went to the AFC Championship game. But right now, they were never able to get over the hump because when the roster deteriorated around Sanchez, they never had a franchise quarterback that can elevate them. That's what all teams need, and that's what you and need. If Mariota and that, has a
1: chance to be that guy, Dan. You have to do it. And that, and like you said, if if Matt more if the Jets feel that Marcus Mariota is that guy, and a lot of people feel he is, some people feel he isn't. Some people question certain attributes of his game because he's never called plays from the huddle in college. You know that's that's something that a lot of NFL teams might be concerned about. I don't know if they, I don't you know know Mike McGagg and I don't know the new regime at the Jets what they like what they like to see in quarterbacks, but I know that Marcus Mariota does have a skill set and does have attributes that you love to see in quarterbacks. So I think at six, if he's there, the Jets are going to take him. I'd be really shocked. I I don't think there's a situation where he falls past six. I agree. I think he's either taken
0: at number six whether it's the Jets or a team that trades up to get that Or he's pick. taken before, or maybe before. by Tennessee. I don't I, think he I, gets past six.
1: I, he does not get past six. I'd, I'd, be, be, I'd be shocked. I would,
0: too. And look at, you mentioned Marcus Mariota and whether or not you know he could play in, in an NFL caliber system. This is what John Gruden also said. I think, personally, Marcus Mariota can play in any system. Just give him the playbook. Put him in an individual drill, period. Train him. Give him a little more time. He's not a senior, a fifth-year senior. Train the kid. Teach the kid, and you're going to like what you see. Fast. He's going to be relentless in his work ethic off the field. He's special. And you know what? You can't put a measurement on someone's heart. If he's willing to put in the time and learn an offense, he has all the physical
1: attributes you look for in a quarterback. He does. And he's and he's, and he's he's had a lot of success in college. You know, he's had a lot of success. He's coming off a year where he was the Heisman Trophy winner. And remember, Jameis Winston had a great year two seasons ago. He was not that great this year, numbers-wise, statistically. They had a great season. They went undefeated. But if you look, his numbers were not as good as they were his freshman year uh, playing quarterback for the, uh, for Florida State. Marcus Mariota has put up consistently tremendous numbers in college. I understand the system, but there is, you know, a sense for the consistency that he did do at Absolutely. Oregon. So that's something I look at where you say, well, you know, with Jameis Winston, yeah, he might be the, the prototypical big-body spot quarterback. But his numbers were not as good his second year at Florida State than they were his first. Marcus Mariota, very consistent numbers-wise. He had a tremendous college career. Like I said, I'd be really shocked if the if the Jet if he's there at six and the Jets do not take him. I think they- I think
0: both guys are going to be good NFL quarterbacks. I really do. I think Winston, if he can keep his head on straight, and I don't think it's as big of a question mark as I once thought it was. I think Tampa Bay would be a great fit. He's familiar with being in Florida. We we'll have a strong support system with Lovie Smith as his head coach. It's not like he's going to a major media market like if the Jets took him at six, for example, or he went to you know a, a team like Chicago or any of these big markets that will, will have a lot of scrutiny at the position I think Winston could be a terrific quarterback and I think Mariota w- with the right fit can adapt and learn how to play quarterback well, in the NFL well
1: that's the thing I think more it's very tough when you see Marcus Mariota play and you, and you see him when he gave his Heisman speech what a great speech when you see him talk and you, and you see he real. it's hard not to love the guy not to fall in love with him so I think you know if the Jets put him in a meeting and talk to him and I think it's going to be tough for them to pass up on. I just do not see a situation where they pass up on it. Only because Jake, they have such a dire need at quarterback. It is such an obvious need. It, it is, you know, it's the elephant in the room. They need a quarterback. And, if and once again, if there's a chance that he could be a great quarterback. You have to do it. It's I don't worth the what risk. What offering? I think it's worth the risk. You know, it's not no necessarily bad. a risk, but it's worth the pick.
0: You have to do it. At number six, you, you just suffered through a four and twelve season. You want to get something for it. You want to get some sort of hope. You can't. You can't sell your team. On anything other than hope,
1: no, I agree, when and you're I, not that good. And let's be honest here, it it does it it, it it doesn't happen so often where you we're off top, you know, a top quarterback and, and entering the draft falls on your, you know, it, it doesn't happen all the time, you know, and there's no guarantee that you're gonna see a Marcus Mariota, however great he becomes, come around again, depending on that. You know, it's just—it's very tough to pass up on a, a top quarterback in the draft when you have such a dire need of quarterback that the Jets do. And I think drafting Marcus Mariota, I think he can immediately come in, and I think it's an immediate, immediate upgrade of quarterback.
0: It is. I think right now we've seen enough out of Geno Smith to understand that he's not going to be the guy long-term for the future of the Jets.
1: Yeah, and I think Marcus Mariota could come in and immediately be an upgrade over Geno Smith. Let them compete. What, I, you know, I think Marcus Mariota is an immediate upgrade, and I think it, it sends a message to the rest of your team that you're invested in putting a guy at quarterback that, that can win you games. Man, and, and You can't go back to Geno
0: Smith. You can't, We've seen you can't go back to Geno. Geno enough. Smith
1: won't be the Jets starting quarterback next year. I hope I, not. I, he, I think I think it's safe to say that Geno Smith will not be the Jets starting quarterback. Whether they decide to go with Marcus Mariota, well, what if they or not? don't take Mariota? I think then they go a different route, and there's a, a competition that. So you really don't think that there's I'd, a chance Geno's the starting quarterback? I think it, I do. I just don't. I I, I, very, hope, I hope you're right. It's very tough to go back. to. I understand the Miami game. I it's I, it's a wash. I that think game means nothing. No, no I want to but I, but I'm game. saying I. But what we hear about it is oh well you see some shine you signs of him you see some some light at the end of the tunnel yeah but you see that in a lot of quarterbacks we haven't seen any consistency with Geno. Smith to tell me that he's going to be a guy that could that can be a franchise quarterback. I think when the, if the opportunity arises where you're at number 6 and and that and, and you're ready to to make a pick and Marcus Mariota is on the table, it's very tough not to pick him. And I think Jet fans really want the Jets to pick him. And I think the Jets have it, you know, have a history of doing make the sexy move. As we see, I understand it's a new regime, but it's it's. I think it would be the right move if he's there at number six. Unless you get a deal where you're questioned on Mar- you're questionable on Mariota, you don't know what he's going to be, and you feel that you're getting such an unbelievable offer from Philadelphia where you can't turn it down.
0: And, you know, another thing when you look at just the overall landscape of the NFL, it's become such a passing league that until, and we've said this, until you get a quarterback in place, you don't have a chance of winning the Super Bowl anymore. You really don't. The days where you could win Super Bowls were Trent Dilfer under center or Mark Sanchez under center. The Jets came close, but in the end they were beat because they lost the teams, which just. Too good of passing offenses. Roethlisberger burned them late in the championship game, and at the end of the day, so did Peyton Manning in that first championship game in 0-9. The bottom line is, you won't win unless you have guys that can throw the football. We've seen great defenses in Super Bowls, yes. but even Russell Wilson with the Seattle Seahawks is still an outstanding quarterback. I agree. So you need to find that guy, Listen, and if, I don't if, think Gino will ever be that and, guy. And when you a lot so of you
1: got to keep going I, until you get that. And guy. And a lot of people say when they look at Marcus Mariota, they see a Russell Wilson type. And let me tell you something.
0: Was Russell Wilson a typical pro quarterback? When no, he came and, out of college? and he was.
1: And so you know what, and, and he it, learned, and he learned. But and Marcus Mariota, if a lot of people compare him to that same type of, of player. And let me tell you something: if if the Jets could get, it, say they take Mariota, if Marcus Mariota is what Russell Wilson is, or half what Russell Wilson is, I think it's worth it. I, I really do. I think it's Absolutely. worth it. I think I, I just I, you know keep going back to the point. The Jets have such a strong need at quarterback. It's it's the elephant in the room, and it's the most important. It's the most important position on the field. It's the most important position on the field, and they don't have it filled. It's very tough to pass up on Marcus Mariota if he's there at six. Like I said, unless you get an unbelievable trade offer where you can't turn it down, otherwise, I think if he's there, you got to pick him.
0: And let's touch on this Des Bryant issue now. Apparently, there's some sort of um, video that could be out there, a really damaging video involving the Star Cowboys wide receiver and people are speculating that that video is why Dallas has not signed into a long-term contract. Something about
1: him with Walmart.
0: No one knows the specifics of the video. Here it is. He was questioned, not arrested in a 2011 Walmart incident. So
1: there's a Walmart, so something happened with Dez Bryant at Here a Walmart. Here it is, I'll read
0: it to you. The, the report from July 11, 2011 shows someone went to Walmart security and said they witnessed a black man dragged a woman out of a car around 6 a.m. The victim is listed as Eileen Nash, Des Bryant's longtime girlfriend and mother of two of his children. In the report, first published by NFL.com's Ian Rappaport, who was actually a guest on this show, cops say a car registered to Bryant was at the scene in the parking lot, and Des later arrived to the scene in another car with the alleged victim. In the report, cops say they interviewed several people at the scene, including Bryant, but determined no crime had been committed. According to the report, Nash did say she got into an argument with another man, a guy named Alex Penson, but was adamant that she was not assaulted or injured in any way. The report does not make note of any visible injuries to Nash. Finally, this police report makes no mention of the video. So this incident that's arose from Walmart in 2011 is not even what this video could potentially be about. So. So this
1: is just an incident that, but we don't know that. We if, don't know where the video, this video has anything is. to do with this. No,
0: and the, according to TMZ doesn't so I mean
1: I, so, it's one of those I, things I don't where... know what it I mean you assume in the upcoming days we'll find out. If there is a video, that. it will be leaked at some point. I think that's uh, fair to say. I think it's very fair to say because you know everything gets leaked nowadays. But but you're saying is that there was an incident with him and Walmart, but th- that might and not— this is,
0: this is from July of 2011 a, already. So which
1: makes you think we would hear about something like this by now. That's a long time. It's not like December of 2014. Especially with the season that Des Bryant just had and the
0: season the Cowboys just had. If there was a story involving the Dallas Cowboys, it would get out there because it would make a lot of headlines. Yeah,
1: so I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised that all of a sudden we're hearing about this now, but if it's a separate issue and there's a separate Walmart video, quote-unquote. I mean, that's something to to monitor, I guess, and we'll find out in the upcoming days what that is all about. And Dallas
0: is in a very difficult situation because DeMarco Murray is a free agent. Dez Bryant's a free agent. Obviously, they're not going to let both those guys go, but they might not have to make a choice, and it looks like they picked Dez Bryant because of the receiver position and what it means in the NFL, but, you know, Des Bryant wants a long-term deal, and the Cowboys right now seem to be a bit reluctant to give it to him. And, I mean, if,
1: if I had a star receiver that was facing criminal charges or whatever the case may be with this, whatever the repercussion is of this video, Walmart incident, you know, I'd be hesitant to give him a long-term contract, too. So they might never they may end up franchising him, and then do they have enough money to sign DeMarco Murray? It's a big question. That's a big question, Mark, because then if you franchise him, you probably have to sign him at the end of next year, too. You can keep franchising, It that costs, you. It costs, you, a it costs you a lot of money. It you a lot of money to keep franchising. you got to
0: pay the top three. You take the top three positions. It's the average of the and, top and three. And the average of the top three. So Des Brown would be making you know, $15 million next season. That would be a huge cap hit. It would be when a huge you can negotiate buy- it to make it easier over the long haul. That's the difference.
1: We'll see what the Cowboys Plus, Dez end Dez could also doing. hold
0: out if he doesn't get a contract. We've seen, we've seen players hold out before. Of course, DeRoe Rivas almost held out. Yeah, but out. you
1: know what? If this is a really lingering issue and this ends up, I, I'd be surprised if he holds out if this is a lingering issue. I don't think – the video were to leak, I don't think he would hold out. If, if, cause he'd want to get a deal he'd right want, away. He'd want to get something done right away, even if it is a franchise tag. Yep. He, I think he'd, he'd, want, he'd want some insurance. He'd want, and he's gonna yeah. Play. He wants something, insurance, that he's going to get paid this year and he's going to play this year. But, I mean, that's – you know, it never ends with the – it really never ends with these incidents with with the NFL, especially in 20, 2014, now 2015. It's just been, it's been incident after incident.
0: And another incident, of course, is Adrian Peterson's situation when he was suspended and missed, you know, the final 14 games of the regular season. And Peterson – he was reinstated today. Then he wasn't reinstated. The latest report is that he was reinstated, but he's not cleared to play. He's not back. He's not back in the league. It has to go back to this through the CBA. The judge did rule in favor of Adrian Peterson, and that's another blow for Roger Goodell and these punishments because once again Roger Goodell looks foolish as you know a, a judge decided that you know what Adrian Peterson he should be reinstated. That he that the NFL arbitrator quote failed to meet his duty in the child abuse case. That obviously shocked the league. So once again, the NFL doesn't look too good here.
1: Yeah, the, I mean the NFL hasn't really caught a break, and it's really hard to. I mean, let's be the incident with Adrian Peterson was really just, it was just, it was a lot to handle. And I, 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 blame the commissioner with a lot of things that happened with Ray Rice, but it's it's very hard to jump on him with how how everything went down with Adrian Peterson. Only because I really don't think he had much of a choice, but. We'll see what happens with him if he is a Minnesota Viking next year, or he's somewhere else. Well, he's
0: set to earn 12.75 million dollars in 2015. His cap his cap hit is 15.4 million. Against the Vikings salary cap, it's a lot of money for a team that is no position to be winning football games next year. And he didn't
1: even play for a guy who didn't even play a season. Yeah, ago. You're,
0: you're still developing a, a young quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater, and then of course, obviously Adrian Peterson. He is the league's highest paid running back if he plays next season for whatever team he's on. He said in December with an interview in ESPN, he doesn't want to take a pay cut. What do you do if you're the Vikings? The guy was only tackled 21 times in 2014. You could look at it as you know the guy hasn't played; he's really
1: fresh. Or the guy hasn't played. What does he have? What does he have left? That they're missing almost an entire season. Well, I think it's more towards the, the first point you made. I think any time a running back gets up in age, it's really a year. It's a year that didn't happen in his career, and I think that's that's very apparent with running backs only because we we've seen the, the amount of hits they take their careers really short. So. I mean, I don't know what the Vikings are going to do because they have a young quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. You want to have, ideally, a running back in place. A really a great running back in place was their idea going into last season. Obviously, after this whole incident, it wasn't the case. But I think their ideal situation is they do bring Adrian Peterson back and he is fresh and he is healthy and he's ready to go. But, again, there is, on the other hand, you could look at a situation where they try to move Adrian Peterson. They try to push him to another team. So, I mean, that, that's something that's going to unfold as the offseason you know, moves forward and as we get past the draft.
0: And finally, with Peterson, if the Vikings decide to cut him, he'll only count as a $2.4 million cap hit. On their salary caps There's an option They could go But you gotta expect The Vikings If he's truly done With Minnesota And obviously There was a report That surfaced That Peterson's agent Got into an argument With a Vikings executive Saying he'll never play For the Vikings again Wow. So I mean What do you do If you're the Vikings You gotta try and trade him And get something The new
1: league year Starts March 10th So they could
0: trade him From that point on
1: Well that's the thing Is you cut him It's only a 2 million dollar To whatever cap hit But this is
0: the the star Of your franchise You you
1: know And that's what I'm saying If you're gonna get rid of him I mean you wanna get what where you put it you want to get the value that Adrian Peterson is I mean he was a top pick in the draft he's a tremendous three three years ago he was the MVP of the league he was the MVP of the league I mean who remember when he came off that uh, ACL tear how great he was that was the year he was MVP that was the year he was. I mean he was he was so he's the best running back in football you want to get value for him so the ideal situation I don't think is to cut him I think it would be to find a trade partner and I think you know there is, there will be teams. Obviously, teams will definitely teams be teams will be interested. But there what is, is the Vikings asking price? What is the Viking asking price? Because remember, you got to pick up the contract. Plus, do they want
0: to play hardball and say, you know what, we're not trading you. You're under contract. We want you to play for us. What would Peterson do? Would he
1: hold out? Would he not show up? Would he force them to trade him, or would he show up to work? We don't know. I I don't know Adrian Peterson, so I don't know what he would do. But we've seen the past guys do. Not hold out, guys. Don't want to play because they want to get traded or things like that. So I, I don't know what it's—it's a, it's a sticky situation. And it, like I said before, it really never ends with the NFL. It's been incident after incident since the Ray Rice thing unfolded, you know, in November, October.
0: You're absolutely right about that, Dan. And you know, before we wrap up the show. Not a good year for the NFL. Roger Goodell's had a very rough very, year, a terrible but year. The guy gets paid forty-four million dollars
1: a year. I'm sure he'll get over it very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if he cares a little bit about his, his image, he wouldn't. But forty-four million dollars does help.
0: At the end of the day, Roger Goodell's image has been pretty much tarnished for what it is. The guy's all about making money for the league, and to his credit, he's done that. But as far as managing the league's issues and managing he's his players, he's been very so. He's up, a hated so commissioner. Bar. The NFL players do not like Roger Goodell, and I think that, that's been made very clear over the past few years.
1: They. It's, Very subpar as far as decision-making and and more towards on-the-field stuff. But off the field, he's made a lot of money for the league, so the owners love him. No question about that, Dan.
0: And that's good to do it for our show. This has been another edition of the Asmund Budick Show. Just before we sign off, make sure you check out our interview that we did on Tuesday with Wayne Randazzo. He's the new Mets pre and post if you want to hear some more Mets talk. And obviously, you can follow us on Twitter at Azrin Budic Show. We started a new Vine twitter account that we're, we're on vine be Ron baby on vine now i don't know what the terminology would be for that but all our vines will now be right on the twitter page so you'll be able to check that very out.
1: accessible to see
0: very cool uh the six second clips of magic that i'm sure everyone's excited to be looking forward to and the twitter account is at show we're also on facebook as well so check all that out and we'll see you next week when we come back for another edition of the asman butick show so long everybody listening to the Asmund and
1: Budic podcast. Make sure you go on to iTunes and subscribe to the show.